I'm your host, Nathan Santo, and the detective Billy Rosewood to my Axel Foley. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Doing good. All right, awesome. And our Sergeant Taggart. I'm excited oh, wait. to be here. That is Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you doing? <laughs> Pretty good. I'm uh, this for all of our uh, Beverly Hills cop fans out there. Uh, maybe I should have introed with that. Uh, that <laughs> That that just that song you know the song that's boom, in boom, 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 you know you're doing a song over us you guys are doing a song over a song right now it's it's in song you don't know that because you're not wearing headphones but you are and it's probably horrible for everyone you mean it's uh, like every intro we do yeah I started first my favorite uh, Beverly Hills Cop fact Jonathan Banks uh, like you know erstwhile like star of uh, Better Call Saul as uh, as the, uh, the the old man Mike uh, in Better Call Saul he uh, he's in Beverly Hills Cop, and he's awesome. All right, anyway. Does he play like the lead henchman? <laughs> Let's go ahead and roll into our last game. How bad a, this game was. Is a you... 17-14 Seahawks loss to the Washington, D.C. football team. Uh, well, where where to begin? I think we should start with the most obvious thing, and that's the kick game. Uh, the kick game. Tell me about these Blair Walsh kicks, Eric. How did they look? Uh, they w- looked wide left and not uh, the wide left that we're used to when we played him in Minnesota in a playoff game, but where you're like, oh, is that is that going to straighten out? No, it's going to be wide left. And there were three of them, in case you're wondering how many of they w- there were, how many points we left on the board. Nine easy points. Those were easy kicks. Uh, there was a time in the game where we went for two, and we didn't have to go for two, but... Uh, it was because I thought part of the reason was is to go for one there would be Blair Walsh missing a kick that he'd been missing all day. So nine points on the board, yeah. losing by three, didn't go for the extra point. You can call it ten points left on the board. That would give us a uh, what is that? Let's do the quick math. Twenty four seventeen win. Yeah, let's make it. Let's make it. It should be clear. eleven. The distances on these kicks: forty four yard field goal, no good. Thirty nine yard field goal, no good, and forty nine. Uh, the forty-nine one yard is is a. Uh, that was I, the run that they were rushing out for half. I will too. admit that's a tough one, but the other two are borderline unacceptable. The forty-nine though, it did not look like it was that far for him. That thing had the distance. It was still wide left. It still looked like all the others. And NFL, I'm not giving him. I'm not giving him a pass on it. NFL kickers miss in that forty to forty-nine territory. Yes. So, but here's the thing: if he goes one for three, then. The two two-point conversions we tried. Ah, oh, yes, Kevin. We'd have gone for extra points. That's a five-point swing, so thanks which is 19-17. That's how bad the game is. Totally or forgot about that. if he makes two out of three, which is what you expect, I think, from an NFL kicker, that's eight points. That's 22-17. Probably, yeah. I mean, it. yeah, you're correct. Um, so we'll start with that, obviously, because I just want to get it out of the way. We know that that's probably a major le- reason the Seahawks lost. Can we do the other major let's, reason? Let's go for the other reasons. You want to start on offense or defense? Uh, I want to start on both and neither at the same time. Okay. Because the statistic I'd like to bring up is 7 for 62 and 16 for 138. And that's penalty yardage. Okay, so that's co- that's coaching at this point. I I cannot accept the fact that that the re- they, they 
it's not year after year. There's no way the referees are just that biased against us. That's a dumb thing to say. There is bias. It does not excuse what happened. The, the, the coaches obviously tell the Seahawks players to play to the edge. Okay, we've heard it before in interviews, right? Play to the edge. Play to the absolute limit. Okay, they're, they're playing past the limit. The blocks in the back on special teams, the dumb penalties... This is just it's it's over the line. They're dumb they're, penalties. They're, they're just they're things dumb. that that they're things that NFL players shouldn't do. The false starts. Uh, Postage had a had a false start. Dwayne Brown had a false start, which is understandable. Yeah, all, all excuses. You know, He's uh, new. Jimmy Graham had a false start. Uh, Luke Wilson had a false start. Hey, was uh, which one was the one where we weren't set? Whose whose fault start was that? Uh. That was that might have been the I believe that I think was, it was Jimmy, Jimmy yeah that and that was one where it that if I remember correctly that was one of the ones that killed a drive. It's yeah the false start penalties when you're at home you shouldn't be racking up four or five false start penalties. Yeah. Uh, Nathan brings this point up. Uh, he says it in the quick shot. He says it about other teams. He says it about our team. But offenses don't have a play call for third and fourteen. Nope. Or a play like that, you know, a, yep. a very long third down. There's no play in the playbook that you can go to in that situation that is going to pay off a, a good portion of the time. And the Seahawks are constantly putting themselves in these situations. Five for 14 on third downs. And it, a lot of it is because we put them, we, you're right, Eric, we put ourselves in third and long, and there's just no plays in the playbook for third and that long. It's just a stupid situation to get yourself into over and over. And a big part of it is the fact that I'm going to go into the offense. The team, This team cannot run the ball very well. Um, there was actually some good runs in this game. Surprisingly, a surprising, oh, do you remember, decent runs. This pissed me off. But it was coupled with a surprising numbers of, of terrible runs. Just just horrible runs. Um, I, I just can't stress this enough. I was like watching two different teams. I don't even understand. Kevin, What? What? explain how you felt about it. All right. So something that really aggravated me about this. Something that really grinds my gears. <laughs> um, so they decide, okay, Lacey's going to be our bell cow. Ironic, um, but also uh, okay. The results were predictable: six carries, twenty yards, three point three yards per carry, which is enough to establish a run game. And we ran the ball quite a bit in the first quarter. He goes out, and it's like we forgot what running the ball was. Suddenly, we're in this game plan where Russ is throwing the ball forty-five times in a close game, and Rawls ran it nine times: nine carries, thirty-nine yards. He was over four yards per carry. He had a couple of like 8 to 12 yard runs, which are nice. 19 yards after contact. Rawls was running his ass off and we were not giving him the ball. We abandoned the run game in a close game where our defense was playing lights out. Yeah, but That's you, so frustrating. He had an 11 yard run and if you take that out, he was 8 for 28, which is like, it's okay. It's a similar to what Lacey was getting. I felt like him and Lacey were running very similarly. I don't care who they pick. They just need to run the ball and commit to it and not have 15 or 18 running, 18 back, running back carries. That's ridiculous. It's like not enough. Like this team has no offensive identity. <clears throat> if our offensive identity is Russell Wilson throws it 45 times and has to scramble on every play, that's not a sustainable offensive identity that we're going to keep having two turnovers a game. We're going to keep ending up in third and long. We're going to have a sack on the well, second to last play of the game. Because Russell, for some reason, rushes to the line and tries to get that playoff. I just so many things that happened in this game just didn't make any sense to me, and it was very frustrating to watch. Our longest play from scrimmage this game was only thirty yards. Like this is a team that lately has really tried to go deep, right? We've yep. been trying to work the long part of the field, and I felt three like three for thirteen. 
on deep passing. Yeah, deep passing That's game nuts. was just not there. And you know, credit to D'Angelo Hall. Like he had two really important passes defensed in this game that were game changers. And I I think uh, Lockett had a really medium game. Two for eight with two for eight with a you know a long catch of six. And uh, some pretty bad th- throws I wish, to him. There were some misses on that. I wish Paul Richardson would have gotten into the game more. He only had three targets, which I think that's just unacceptable at this point. Paul Richardson is an important part of this offense. He's proved it every week. You need to run some plays to try to get Paul Richardson open or to get him involved in the offense. Um, I just found this game incredibly frustrating to watch. And it, not only the fact that in the first half of this game, we had long drives ending in missed field goals over and over, which demoralized the team. I felt like that was like a... Like a just a breaking point for the team as a whole. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that we want to look at, and this is something we talked about before the show, why are we lead blocking with our tight ends? Our tight ends are terrible lead blockers. Uh, I was going through and Trey I... Trey Madden got hurt, so that maybe they felt like they had no choice. I don't know. But either. we've been doing it all season, even when we have a fullback. And nonetheless, and we're not even using Vanette to do it. We're using Luke Wilson and Jimmy Graham, two below average blocking tight ends, and we're trying to put the run game through them. We love you, it's Luke, terrible. though. It's terrible. It's a really bad play. I don't, and he blocked us, and so now I hate him even more. You know what? He Try catches to... <laughs> defenders on blocks like he catches footballs. Hey, he One out on. of every three. Caught a touchdown on this game. Um, One out of every three. Speaking of catching... What's up with that Jimmy Graham effort on that two second two point conversion? You know uh. he's good for one sh- just crap catch, like terrible drop. He played pretty every good game. the rest, pretty good the rest of the game. Yep, but every game he gets at least one just bungled drop. It's like, like he's not ready for it. Even that one, that it's one. Like you watch Corn Robinson video. Even that one, he didn't he didn't catch the the one where it was behind him and he put his arm up backwards and like tipped it and it tipped it away from the safety. Like that was an incredibly athletic non catch. <laughs> Like I yes. was like I was like wow he actually almost caught that and like th- there's not many guys in the NFL that could do that. I'm all, I'm consistently impressed with Jimmy Graham. Equal parts impressed with Jimmy Graham and frustrated with the fact that he's ruining our salary cap. Yeah. Um, but next year he'll either take a smaller deal or he'll be out of here. So I'm not going to worry about it too much. Not my problem. I thought uh, on the O line, um, Brown looked all right. There were a couple of clear miscues. Yeah. Um, he looked like a guy who was still adjusting to being on a different team. Yeah, there were a couple of plays where you could tell he didn't know where the running back was going to chip, One thing, and so he missed a block. One thing I love about him, though, is when he messed up, he instantly tried to fix it. Yep. He knew exactly what he needed to do to fix yeah. it. There's a lot of plays when you watch the Seahawks offensive line for a, a lot like we do, where you see a guy mess up, and then he doesn't know what to do, and he just stands there. Like, a Fetty will just be standing in space, not blocking anyone, and you're like, what? Do something. Do anything. Do anything on this play. You're just, like, losing your mind. Brown, when he missed the block or something happened that he didn't expect, he instantly tried to get himself back in the play. He would run, make an extra effort to try to get himself back in the play or a block or create like a back seal for a rust so he could move forward in the pocket. He's an incredibly good football player. I was very impressed with his play overall. And even though like pro football focus graded him out at like a 78, and I thought, yeah, I agree with that. It wasn't like the best game. It was just an okay game. I thought it showed a lot of potential. There, there's a reason we spent high draft picks to get this guy. And, um, yeah, I'm really happy with the Dwayne Brown trade, even though I do feel like we gave up a little too much. It impressed me, though, when Russ goes on the move. Uh, you know, you see guys giving up on blocks, and they want to. They, it's almost like our offensive line watches Russ to see what they're going to do. And as you said, Nate, Dwayne Brown actually went and found a guy to block on the backside to basically, who's chasing my quarterback? I'm going to block him. And I was really impressed with that. 
And it gives me ne- something never to... Never quit, right? Never yeah, quit. Well, it gives me something to look forward to for the next couple of years. I mean, that's that's one thing it seems we're going to have locked down. Not all pro status, but it's something we're not going to have to worry about, and that's a little comforting after this terrible loss. Yeah, I'll also say Posich continues to look like if he he could be the worst offensive lineman on a top five unit. Yeah, he's an he's a right he now he just can't handle the bull rush. Right he, now he's bang average because he doesn't have the physical body of an NFL guard. He if just he can not get stronger, yet. get a little more uh, what do they call it? It's a little bit more sand he, in him. He just needs to eat. <laughs> he needs to eat a lot of food and lift a lot of weights over the summer. Can uh, they talk about it. Uh, certainly I think possible. It's, uh, yeah, an anchor. Yeah, which basically means can he drop his butt and. Uh, Stop the bull rush. Yeah, and right move. now, he clearly looks 20 pounds lighter than the guy he's blocking. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, just the general play calling. Um, That's good, because I don't we, want to talk about Ibushi and Effetti sucking all game. Yeah, they were not good. Um, and Britt was just... Oh, Britt, Britt looks hurt. Britt was very Britt. Let's be honest. Yes. Britt looks hurt, and I think he's not playing at 100%. And this 10 days off after this Thursday game is going to be critical for him. Um, getting, getting just fully healthy. Uh, actually pretty excited to have the Thursday night game just for that fact that next coming off that 10 days like second bye week right we're gonna have a bunch of practices where Brown Fetty and Joke will get to play or Brown Britt and Joke will get to play together and I think that will be really uh, interesting to see how they come together do you think Joke and Postage Postage is is playing right guard I guarantee you there's no or do you think Joke is playing right guard it, it's either one. There's no freaking way they bench Postage after the way he's played. He has, I would hope he's he has, clearly been like our third best lineman. He's he's clearly the best non jokal guard on the roster, um, other than Jordan Roos, who they for some reason they're just saving. I don't know. They're <laughs> they're they're keeping him in the kitty. I love Jordan Roos. I'm not, I'm like the I'm like super. super There's got to be something one. we don't know about him that the coach. He might just hate. not be ready. Like he might just not be picking up the playbook as fast as they want. There's tons of little stuff a rookie needs to do that he's that he's maybe struggling with. Okay, <clears throat> so we talked about the offensive line. Let's talk about the play calling. I think that a lot of the problems that we had in this game can stem from the fact that the defense seemed to know exactly what we were going to do all, all times, and Ryan Kerrigan got to just pin his ears back and be a pass rusher and was never really punished for it. We did nothing to punish it like... like we had a... Do we? How many screens did we throw in this game, Kevin? Two? Uh, one, I believe. <clears throat> I one screen, two zone reads. Yeah, it's it's a surprising. And like one or two RPOs. Yeah. So so the so because of that, they they have. We talked about this before the game. Uh, Washington has some good defensive players. They have some defensive players with some real skills, and they they were able to do it. And yeah, they didn't always get home. You know, they they only had two sacks in the game. But but a lot of Washington's players put up good performances in the secondary. Uh, Stacy McGee had a really good game. Their interior defender, uh, he only played 31 snaps, but he had a 82 pass rush grade um, on the game from the inside. Like they just had, they had a really really good game on defense because it felt like they just knew what was happening. They knew what we were doing before we were doing it. We threw 45 times. They did know. Yeah. Well, that's part. Of, that's the problem. Is that we're not balancing out the offense. It's just unbalanced. Everything seems wrong. I mean, Russ is twenty four for forty five. That's not an accurate day, right? That's 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 not what we expect from him. No, seventy point three rating, two picks. Um, he fumbled, but got it back. That awful uh, sack, second last play of the game. That awful sack. Oh my gosh. I mean that that is that is what Russ does. Why if you want to look at a negative thing? Russ does every year, three four times a year. It's that play. Takes a bad sack. Yeah, a bad yep. sack where he's where he tries to get to rid of the ball half a second too late. Like, you know he's already down on the ground. He's trying to get rid of the ball. And it's like, 
you already held on to it too long. Quit trying to make this up. Yeah, and I, another thing I hate too is like rushing to the line right there. Just just clock the ball and then and then take your next play. We lost eight yards in like forty seconds off the clock because of our twenty five seconds off the clock because of that play. It was like a super boneheaded play. Just clocked it, clock it, get the next play in. Legitimately, what this was, this was the forty ers game against a better team. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is a real deal. Like I, I think that the we underestimated him a little bit. The way that he beat. Do- that Doxon, you want to switch to defense, Kevin? Talk a little uh, defense. Yeah. Uh, the way that Doxon beat Shaq Griffin on that last play of the game, and the way that Kirk Cousins was able to just thread that ball in there, was like an indicative of like this team. Yeah, they didn't play a great offensive game. Well, and game. Quick beat Coleman on the play before that for the long pass. Right. Yeah. They, twice in a row, we were expecting one on one, which is what we expect our corners to be able to do. We did not have Earl over the top to play center field, and they got isolated and beat. But either way, like. Earl's not going to make it to Doxon on that play. He's so far outside running that fade. Like, no, that's, but he makes it to quick. He makes it to quick for sure, which puts us out of that situation. But Doxon, he's way he's way out there, right? Like he's, oh, yeah. He's way out there. And, and Shaq's on an island on that play. And that play, I think, it was indicative of the fact that Washington has confidence in this offense, even though they're, they're, they're on offensive linemen 6 through 10, basically. Yep. These guys are all backups. They have basically our offensive line from last year. <clears throat> and so... Maybe worse. Like, this offensive line is not good. And one, we're missing guys to take advantage of that, right? We don't have Sheldon. We don't have Cliff. So all these guys are hurt, and it's make, it makes it more challenging for us to take advantage of the fact that their offensive line... Dwight Freeney got in there and took advantage, though. He had a great game. <clears throat> and two, they still had confidence. They were like, you know what? We're going to do seven-step drops. We're going to run our offense. We're going we're gonna to do that stuff that... We're going to do the stuff that our offense does because we believe in it. And I don't know. It was, re- it was refreshing to see a team play to its identity and... It paid off in the end. Like, they won because they knew who they were and they had confidence in who they were. And it's the kind of stuff we do last week against the, against the Texans, right? Well, I mean, if going uh, after the game, hearing, you know, the coaches speak before the game and uh, Jay Gruden had told his team that he didn't really care how many guys were out. You're all members of this team and you all step up and you all play. We're going to play our game that we always play. Just like you said, Nathan. They suited 43 That's what guys. they did. And I love what you said about their identity because all year they've had a problem with what their receivers, they, they have a new receiving core. They don't know how to use certain players. They, they don't have the receivers they had last year. Why is this Washington team so bad? Yeah, they're injured, but even when they're players, they can't put it together. And I'm not saying that they put it together. If you're a Redskins fan listening to this podcast, I know you're not there. But your your team still has problems. But this was the perfect opportunity. They did not give up. Like you said, they kept playing their game. And uh, I, I would like to think that if that play was switched and Sherman was, uh, you know, on an island, that he would have stopped uh, Doxon. Yeah. But I don't see that happening. Especially in this game where, where Sherman was getting called for yanking. I feel like Sherman would have got beat one on Sherman, one. I think Sher- Sherman would have knocked him off his Sherman would have held. You think so? Sherman I, think, I don't think so. He would have taken so, the yeah. penalty. And, like, and that's fine. In that situation, you take the five yards holding. You, you, you hold him on the waist and you say, okay, take your five yards. Like, I also think Griffin needs to get a punch on the line. I think that's what I they're going to so work too, with Kevin. him a lot. He doesn't know how to knock a receiver off their route. And that's that was a the gr- thing that he needs. That was to a learn great route Sherman. by Doxon. Like you could tell from like step five that yep. he was going to have that step. He had him by a step and a half. Cousins trusted him, and he threw the ball in a perfect spot. Doxon made a little adjustment in, 
and cut across the front of Griffin, and Griffin just didn't make now, the play. Now we have yes, our defense had a, a bad a bad drive, and they overall though they played pretty good. They um, played very good. A billion sacks. Uh, Bobby Wagner on that delayed sack, like they, oh, that was awesome. Man. The that safety, was, the yeah, safety was, that was really fi- really great. Uh, Dwight Freeney had a really good game, as mentioned before. Quentin um, Jefferson, yeah. Naz Jones, yeah. couple of nice games from some interior players. Uh, our depth was really really shallow. Frank on Clark, D line. Frank Clark didn't uh, do, didn't do as much as I would have hoped. I was hoping for like a two set game out of well, him. He played like eighty two percent of snaps though. It's didn't weird. He? Uh, something like that. He yeah. played a ton. Yeah. Of I mean, you snaps. watch. I think he was overused. I was gonna say you watch him every week, Kevin. You love Frank Clark. Did you see anything that? I mean, I thought the he, matchup was it. I thought that he played all right. I think he just. I think he spent a lot of the game tired, and he just he didn't played get home. a lot of snaps. But I feel like there were a number of plays where you know maybe another couple of seconds he's the person in there. But Freeney was on the game. Freeney was the closer in this game, man. Yep. We used him exactly how we want to use them. Like, play 30 to 40% of snaps, pass rush basically every time, do a, do a spin move. Yep. <laughs> do Dwight Freeney things. Like, that's what Dwight Freeney does. And he gets his hands up, too. One thing I like about him is at the defensive line, he had that pass deflection. Yep. Like, he gets his hands up really well the closer. for a defensive lineman, which I really like. Um, the secondary was, was fine, other than Coleman and Griffin. You know, they had lapses. but McDougald? He played a good game. I was really happy with McDougald. I think he proved why why we were so hyped on him the whole season, and why we we're kind of we kind of been on McDougald watch all year. But they saved him for this. They yeah. saved him for this situation where Earl or Cam tweaks a hammy and needs a couple weeks off. This is what McDougal was there for, and he 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 delivered. He delivered on what we expected. Unfortunately, it is easier to replace Cam in this defense than Earl. Earl yeah. might be the hardest to replace. Earl and Luke Keekley. Might be the two hardest to replace pieces in the NFL. Now we say like, oh, the defense they 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 were up and they had a bad couple bad drives, but they were mostly pretty good. And I would say that that same holds true. I mean, four for thirteen on third downs for Washington, only six, 16 first downs. We had six sacks. We had a turnover. Uh, we held them to twenty seven forty one time of possession. So we won the time of possession battle, which we is killed ma- their run game. Which is what makes which is what makes that last drive so frustrating. Is that defense wasn't tired. They just got beat. That's yeah. why I think that's why it made it so frustrating for me. I think what made it frustrating for me was you could see this coming. Yeah, it was like Washington's offense is too good. We let the team hang around too long. You could see the writing on the wall. Did, you did not want to go in that situation. <laughs> we scored with what was it? A minute thirty nine left. Minute thirty. And the and first 34. thought I had was. That's a lot of time left on the clock. Yes, and the drive before that where Thomas Rawls got taken down with an arm bar by Josh Norman. Josh yeah, Norman the, came yeah. he came out of nowhere to on make a, a spectacular play on a guy that is that should be should have the lead. I'm sorry. Thomas because Rawls. Because the hole was plugged that he was supposed to be running through when Luke Wilson whiffed the block. Yeah. Because we chose to use Luke Wilson as our friggin' lead blocker, but I mean, all credit to Josh Norman oh. there on the on the Washington football team. And Josh I Norman thought... is the dirt like a dirty player. Like yep. I mean, he did some dirty stuff in this game. But you know what? He's an agitator and he's really good. And I thought Rawls I would take him on to my make a play happen there. He I would did. take he, him just, on my own team. If you in looked a at him second. Like his arm disappeared, and we we all watch MMA. We know what an armbar looks like. Chris Jericho's favorite finish. Exactly. Though. There's no way that Thomas Rawls could get out of that, and he just went down. And uh, yeah, he tried to fight it. I mean, that was that was the moment after though. contact. That was the moment where I was like, "Uh oh, we we're gonna lose this game." And we scored after that, and I felt better. But going back, that's when I knew, like, "Oh, this is this is bad." Um, 
All right. And then anything else you guys want to mention before we move on to our preview of this week's tilt against the Arizona football Cardinals? You just I want to say two screen passes and Rawls gets 16 carries, and I think we won this game. Or, or any, I think just anyone, if we can total up to 25 carries, I think it doesn't matter yep. who gets them. Like, we just need to get over 20-something, 20 25-ish carries, and it's fine. I, I don't think, and I maybe I'm on an island here, but I don't think Rawls or or Lacey, I think both of them are just, they're just both okay. At this point, like right now, neither of them are taking over the game. I think Rawls has a greater ability to hit a home run out of the two of them, but I don't think either of them will consistently do it. Well, tacking on what you guys are saying also with the combined runs, a little more J.D. McKissick in this game. Yeah, I mean, he's a change of pace back, and to see him... It'd be nice. They tried you know what to, he would have been perfect a, for? A, a screen, screen pass. passes yeah. in the middle? Just they, a little bit more, oh. right? They tried to get him involved in the game early, and then I feel like he just he was yeah, invisible they, the rest they of the forgot. game. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I mean, he, he got two rushes. Targets too. He got two rushes right at the beginning of the game, right? And yep. then And then they gave him one more the rest of the game. Okay. Uh, so that's Seahawks, Red, uh, Washington, D.C. Sorry, I almost said the the bad word. So, so sorry, I say it. So uh, they, and uh, that's that. Um, any that that's it. We got nothing, right? That uh, we're heading now. I to want to Arizona. be done with this game. Yes. Okay. So Arizona, the football Cardinals. Arizona is four and four. They're coming off a win. Uh, they they are playing real okay. Their quarterback got hurt, but they're on the struggle bus against San Francisco. Let's be honest. The quarterback got hurt. Um, so what do you think, what do you think about Arizona, Eric? <gasps> start with you. Uh, where should I start? I feel like this team is, uh, they're in their, they're in their twilight. I mean, Carson Palmer is gone, uh, as we know. I don't know if he'll play another game in the NFL. If he does, it's, I don't think it's going to matter. He might have another five games left in him. Drew Stanton, uh, I'll let you do Drew Stanton, Nathan, because you seem to be the big Drew Stanton uh, supporter of this podcast. I'll skip over here for now. They have a running game with Adrian Peterson that they have not had all year. Uh, well, since, he's I guess, David Johnson. He's revitalized their offense a little bit, right? Yes, just a little bit. Uh, I feel like this defense, although you can't sleep on them, they're a decent defense. They're not like you know that, that big defense that they were trying to build three years ago. Uh, this Cardinals team is on the way to the bottom of the division, meaning you know they used to challenge us for that number two spot or that number one spot and now it's us and the rams right it's it's weird right and i said that was going to happen in the like the our preseason podcast that, I like how it cycled it's weird but i, I started said, out it was us against the rams then it was san francisco and then it was the cardinals, it was the cardinals and now, and now it's back. us against the rams but i didn't think it was going to be this fast like i said you know this is we're gonna have to look at the 49ers are probably going to start getting good again eh, you can delay that another year but remember this this <laughs> this cardinals team ultimately cannot be taken lightly. I'll just say that. They can still hit a home run. They're like that guy who hits 15 home runs a year. They're Griffey in his last year. So they're going to hit 215 with 15 dingers? Correct. All right, let's talk Drew Stanton, okay, because you said that I had an opinion on him. Uh, Do I think Drew Stanton is great? No. No, I don't. But do I think he's bad? I'm not willing to go there either. I think he's a really average NFL quarterback. Um, his QBR right now is fifty two point nine. He's seven and three as an as an uh, NFL starter. His his I think he's um, you know about as good as like uh, he's like a slightly maybe maybe he's be- a little bit better than Blake Bortles. I don't know. That's that's how I feel about Drew Stanton. The thing the fact of the matter is he's not a huge drop off from how Carson Palmer was playing this year. Uh, it's not like a it's not going from the the way Carson Palmer was playing this year to Drew Stanton is not a huge drop off. 
The problem that Arizona is running into is the fact that their defense is just not quite what it once was. Uh, their defense has gone from uh, what, top eight? the best in the league or one of the best in the league to now a defense that is just middling in all areas. They're 14th against the rush. They're 18th against the pass. Um, they can't, they're not really having a lot of success covering any type of wide receivers, especially guys who are not number one or number two receivers, which bodes well for the Seahawks, a team that likes to spread it around a little bit, who likes to get the third and fourth receivers involved, Tyler Lockett and, and uh, Tanner McAvoy. Um, so I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about this from a matchup perspective. I think this is a really good matchup for the Seahawks. Here's the problem I have. Thursday night games are super wacky. Like, wacky stuff happens in these Thursday night games, and it really worries me that we're going to have to go on short rest coming off a kind of heartbreaking loss and get right back to it on the road against a division rival who I think is weak but game. I would like to double down on your wackiness, Nathan. We also play wacky games against the Cardinals. Look at, look at last year's the amazing tie. game in the desert. Cool. The overtime tie. And I say overtime because we had a chance to to win it before overtime and in overtime. And it, it we play weird games against the Cardinals. It reminded me of when the Phoenix met the Liberty. Yeah. It's a possibility of overtime. <laughs> what time, Nathan? Overtime. Overtime. Okay. <laughs> I, I like when you yeah, reference so. 2001 yeah. uh, WNBA commercials. Yes. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we all knew. We all knew. I was, all right. You know, it's the ultimate insider Kevin. reference. Kevin. What do you think? I think that you hit the nail on the head there. This is a game of matchups. And we have Arizona struggles against number three receivers or slot receivers. I think that's absolutely going to be a problem for them today. Um, That means that they have to basically choose between Lockett and Doug Baldwin. And they're going to be able to cover one. You know, uh, they struggle against covering running backs. They're giving up 50 yards per game in the past game to running backs. McKissick could have a big day, you know, if we call any plays for him. I think that there's reasons to believe it. With Dwayne Brown, I'm not as worried about uh, their pass rush Chandler as I Jones, would have been. The one man, the one man wrecking crew. Yeah, they have one pass rusher, and I guess if they always line him up on uh, on a Fetty side then at least we know that we can roll every play to the other side. I really do like this player I'm about to mention, Kevin, and I want to uh, I want to fire this to you. Nathan, you can chime in if you want. Where, where are you at on uh, Teron Matthew, uh, the honey badger? How do you feel about it? He's him? really good when he's healthy. Yeah, He gets hurt a lot, but he's he's excellent. He's excellent. He's a very unique football player. Uh, he has a very unique set of skills where he both is, is fantastic in coverage and against the run. He's like reverse Earl Thomas, even though like he doesn't yes, do exactly what Earl Thomas does. He's like Earl he's... Thomas, but he plays close to the line. Yeah. And he plays injured a lot. Yeah. And if you look, Arizona's 20th in the league against deep passes and 20th in the league against passes over the middle. So if you look at those seam routes, um, a lot of the types of plays that Doug Baldwin makes his hay on, I think that I think Doug could have a really big game. Now you said they're going to have to cover one Doug or Tyler Lockett. If I'm the Cardinals, I cover Doug because Tyler Lockett is not having a very good season. Their best cornerback doesn't follow very well, though. Yeah. I mean, if they want to put him in the slot, go ahead and put, That's what put I was Peterson say, in the yeah. slot. I'll take that Do you all think day. that we are going to be smart enough to do that? Because the Seahawks last year, I mean, the last couple of years, we've been playing Doug a lot in the slot. And this year, he's moving around, but I'm... I would much rather see Doug in the slot. You can be the We're number one receiver in, in the and slot. Out of the slot. Yes, I guarantee it. 
so let's let's talk up. Can I talk about another few uh, Seahawks things to think about? Yeah. People keep touting this Jermaine Effetti's not given up a sack the whole season. So I want to give some counter Jermaine Effetti facts. You ready? So uh, you say Jermaine Effetti has not given up given up a sack this season. I say he's allowed set 32 pressures, which is 72nd out of 76 offensive tackles. You say Jermaine Effetti hasn't allowed a sack this season. I say Jermaine Effetti leads all NFL players in number of times flagged and penalties accepted. Jermaine Effetti is better, but let's not get it twisted. He's not there yet. He has work yet to do, and he still is making a lot of kind of dumb plays that you would expect a, a, a young player to make that he needs to start growing out of if he's going to stick in the NFL. Uh, I, you you guys, say he's better. You say he's better. I don't know, man. If you say so. I am so <laughs> off of a Fetty. I am so mad at him week in and week out. And he makes boneheaded penalties, boneheaded play calls. I do not like this guy. He has had enough snaps where Tom Cable, I'm calling you out. Coaching should have addressed this by now. The mistakes that he's making, these false start penalties, he doesn't know the snap counts. You know, uh, you're looking at consistently not knowing his assignments. He doesn't have a plan B. Are we picking up a guy who's so thoroughly uncoachable, or is it more likely that this is a systemic problem? And it's a systemic problem. If things don't shape up, then we need to clean house. And I think even if they do, it's maybe time to clean house. This offensive coaching system is not working. Yeah, this is like year, what, four of having Cable and Bevel together? Year three, year four? Four. Yeah, year four. If I mean, at this point, if they can't figure it out, it's it's on them. You need At some point, people need to be held accountable. And I think that this is a... This is a systemic problem in the Seahawks system is that I don't know if there's a lot of accountability. The coaches aren't getting held accountable. The players don't seem to be held accountable because the penalties just keep racking up, right? And at some point, you need to say to someone like Michael Wilhoy, if you block in the back on another fucking punt, you are not going to be playing in any more football games. If you block on the Seahawks, you are not held accountable. That's It's just like does not make any sense to me. Hold these guys accountable for doing the little stuff. There's a reason. You know what the thing is? The rate. Let's take a team, the Raiders. I don't think the Raiders are that good, but they they obviously have some accountability stuff because they do not get a lot of penalties. They get hardly any penalties, and it saves their asses in game after game after game. And they are playing way above what I think their talent level is because they do the little stuff. Right? The devil is in those details. The Seahawks should have seven wins right now, and they don't because they don't do the little stuff. The little stuff is killing us in game after game after game. And at the end of the season, when we dump out after the second playoff game because we don't do the little stuff, we're going to look back and we're going to say, yeah, we should have held these guys accountable for all of these penalties. We should have held this offensive coaching staff accountable for having Russell Wilson do seven-step drop after seven-step drop and put all of these and hang all of these tackles out to dry. It's that's, tough to say. That's but where I'm at. That's where I'm at right now. Is I think that enough really of a rant fair. for you? No, I think that's fair. And... Uh, I'll say what I say at the beginning of every season or throughout the season even. There is a window for every NFL team. If you are the 49ers right now, your window of being terrible at some point is going to close and you're going to get better. The Cleveland Browns, they they have a brick wall. They don't have a window. The Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> Tampa Bay Sorry. will always just be mediocre. So. I, I got I to gotta make my joke somewhere to make sure that I don't get too mad. But the Seattle Seahawks 
we like to say as long as we have Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson, we have a bit of a window. But look at Earl Thomas. Look at the Legion of Boom. I'll just say that. Look at our line. Although we're cycling younger guys every year and we're looking good. We got Naz Jones, we got Frank Clark, Michael Bennett. He's taking a little bit of a step back. Cliff Averill may never play again. Your window with these guys is closing. Earl Thomas, the best defender I've ever seen in a Seattle uniform, maybe the best defender I've ever seen in my era, is how many years does he have left in all seriousness, in all honesty, of Earl Thomas play? Three, four, two? I don't know. And going back to that Patriots Super Bowl, you have one Super Bowl for this franchise. You should have two. This is very frustrating. Are you talking about the Packers, you mean? No, I'm talking about the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Oh, oh, we should have won the Super Bowl. We should have won I thought that. you meant like, we're, I thought you were giving us an analogy of, we are like the Packers where we're throwing away peak years of good players. No, because I could give a shit about the Packers. They're but I mean, so bad. And I know I agree with you on this. They're throwing away peak years of the best quarterback in the league. And we're about to do the same shit with the best defensive player. Exactly. In the and it's frustrating. And you look at the teams with excellence. You look at the Patriots. You look at a team like that. I don't know if they have excellent, like what you said, the Raiders. A team they seem to be achieving more with less. I want to achieve more with what we have. And I think that is so easy. It's it's like right within our grasp. Not everyone can. Well, New England's run is one you can't count on. But a run like what Pittsburgh has had, a run like what the Ravens had. It's a great, great point, Scott. That is what you'd be looking to see out of this kind of a core. And right now, yeah, we have one Super Bowl win, one Super Bowl appearance. A second Super Bowl win makes the whole thing look very different. And honestly, in four years... This is a completely different team. This, there will be some components the same, but it's a different team. Another thing that bugs me, too, is that the Seahawks right now, they've made the Super Bowl three times in our history, and all three times we made it, what seed did we have in the playoffs? Number we, one. We were the number one seed. This is a team that that loves to play at home and historically has one. There are few true home field advantages in the NFL anymore. Teams that just are just demonstrably better at home. We are one of them because of the 12s. We have great fans. And the and the team seems to feed off of that, whatever that's worth. I know that's like really intangible or not tangible and, and kind of corny, but that's just the way it seems to work, you know. So I want to see us, you know, get those home games. And right now, I struggle to see how we're going to catch the Rams the way they're playing. It's just going to be it's an uphill battle, right? We have to basically win out or win all but one game at this point to beat them, and that's tough. Where that means we're going to play all our playoff games on the road. We're looking at one of two scenarios, like we talked about. Either we're going to have a ten game break, a ten day break after Arizona. We're going to figure out what our offense looks like the rest of the season, and we're going to come out and play just like gangbusters until the end of the year and look like a Super Bowl contender. Or we're going to keep looking like the same mess that we've been rolling out where you never know from week to week what you're going to get. And that's where I'm sitting at for my Arizona prediction. I don't know what I'm going to get. Yeah. You asked me to tell you what this game could be. You know, if we do uh, Nate's classic bit, you know, uh, what's best case, worst case, you know, best case scenario, offense comes out, deep balls get completed, we run the ball the way we should, a um, couple of our players should be back healthy on defense this week. Our rotations Turnovers. are a little deeper. And 
Uh, we generate a couple of turnovers off of a backup quarterback, and we walk away with, you know, a convincing 27-10 victory on the road. Maybe 33-10. But I could just as easily see pass rush is on Russell all day. We don't call any plays to help him out. We don't commit to the run game. The defense looks tired. They make a couple of bad choices, and we lose an ugly, like, 1913 crap game. And that could just as easily be the case. All right. I'm going to take you guys back in the time machine if we're going to make predictions right here. I'm going to take you back to a couple games that happened not that long ago. January 3rd, 2016. The 9-6 Seahawks head to... um, University of Phoenix Stadium, where they thump the Arizona Cardinals 36-6. to Then, I'm going to take you back to December 21st, 2014, where the 10-4 Seahawks played the 11-3 Cardinals, and they thumped them 35-6 to in the University of Phoenix Stadium. <clears throat> we have had success going on the road into this stadium and winning, and I don't see any reason why this situation can't be the same. I'm going to be decisive here. I'm going to pick the Seahawks to win 31-7, to and I think that this is the game where we start to see this team turn around. Weird stuff happens in Thursday night games, and the weird thing is going to be the Seahawks come off of a, lo- a weird loss and pound the Cardinals into submission. Eric? I like your gumption, Nathan, quite a bit. Uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's as good as the cupcakes that your lovely wife brought for us and that I had to break my no-sweets rule for, just to be quite kind. Good. I'm going to go with uh, with something more realistic of the way I'm thinking because, you know, the Seahawks pull off a big win. I'm back on the horse. They they don't impress me. I, I get angry. I think that we're going to win 16-14 to 14 off of, check this, guys. You're going to love this. Don't, don't barf just yet, Kevin. I'm not done. Three Blair Walsh field goals. Oh, God. Wait, made field goals? Made. Think about it, man. It's It's... Poetry. Well, you know, it is beautiful symmetry, Kevin. Hauschka made all the field goals at Seahawks Stadium, but he had trouble kicking in Arizona. And as Pete Carroll says, we only play against Arizona once per year, so he's not going to worry about it that much. But this is the year that that uh, this is the game that helps every year. You know, I gave you my two scenarios: twenty-seven ten Seahawks. I think we get that dominant performance. I think it shakes out the way they need it to. Let me give you a couple more stats to take home with you to show you why I don't like Arizona. Arizona's weighted DVOA is negative 23.9, putting them good for 27th in the league. They're 31st on special teams. The Seahawks actually went up in DVOA this week, up to 14.8%, 8th in the league. They look pretty good. I'm really happy with the Seahawks. 9th in total DVOA. This defense will shut down Arizona. It should be straight. What about uh, no Eddie Lacy this week? It is unlikely he Good. will play. Then that means that we might actually give Rawls enough carries to get rhythm. We m- he should he should put his hands on the ball 15 or 16 Please times. let someone carry the ball a lot. Also, maybe a healthy CJ Pro size for like three snaps. So that'll be good. All right. That's it. That's us for it in picks. Uh, let's go to the money zone where you can help us get money. Uh, we have a new Patreon this week. Put on the Patreon light. Thank you for joining our team. Oh, man, I should have wrote the name down. This is classic. Frank Snow. Oh, Kevin. 
bringing it first and last name. Kevin, just just let put it out there. I would have just said the first name. Can you, uh, am I right? I have no idea. I'm pretty sure I'm right. <laughs> I didn't even look. Uh, I really <laughs> hope that I'm right because you sound like somebody out of a comic book. And Sounds I'm like really a proud of you for that. Yeah, hero. Yeah. All right, well, he's part of the team now. If we you need wanna... to hook you up with Eagle River, Alaska, because that sounds like where you should be from. If you want to join a part part of our team, help us out, help us fund the podcast, uh, new equipment, all that jazz, um, you can head to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. Every week you will receive an exclusive podcast where we go through and pick every game uh, straight up, not against the spread. We're not psychopaths. Um, so... And we also just riff and make jokes, and we do holiday specials. So every holiday, we throw in a little extra for you, a little maybe uh, Halloween movie breakdown from last week. Oh, we got all kinds of stuff. Also, um, by request, if you email us and say you really want us, we'll we'll get on a Google Hangout with you after the game and just kick it old school. So uh, all that stuff, all those goodies are available. Patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. Uh, you also could follow us on any social media, Twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest, Facebook.com slash The Seahawks Nest. Uh, you can, um, I don't know. You could put twenty five star review. You could put twenty dollars in the mail and send it to uh, send it to uh, Kevin Garber. <laughs> in all seriousness, our just put Kevin Garber on the envelope and hope it gets there. Our patrons, uh, you know, you guys <laughs> suggest like things. Letters. You guys suggest things for us, and uh, I look we like will a young Santa. we will address them. We will, uh, you know, if you want us to talk about something yeah. in movie club, comment, we're comment on the Patreon article. Uh, if you're a patron, comment on the Patreon stuff, and just I'll check it. I check that stuff. Like I saw that, uh, you know, Augustine threw a like on the Halloween episode, which either means a we picked good Halloween movies to talk about, or b he just wanted us to know he's alive, and we're happy about that. Yeah, we appreciate it. <laughs> um, so, so uh, yeah, the the um, the yeah, just comment on that stuff, and that's like an easy way for me to see it, and you know, it's it's it's. It's not in the this. I don't know, man. The guy who set up our our website email, it's it's obtuse and not fun to use. So you can send it to admin at fromthehawksnest dot com, but I can't guarantee but that. DM I'm gonna... me on Twitter. Uh, yeah, DM hit us up Kevin. on Facebook. Yeah, that's way better. We talk to people on Facebook all the time, and by people, I mean mostly Augustine. But that's because Augustine's <laughs> the best. Uh, there's other. There's other. There's he's other holding down if I had an choose, entire country worth of twelve. If I had to choose my favorite Seahawks fan, I mean, he's in, he's in the top one. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's get let's get into it. Let's talk movies. Um, I want to talk about. Um, I want to go with some 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 old school action. You know, I've been thinking a lot about older action movies. You know, I did a Beverly Hills Cop intro today, which I think is a great old uh, action comedy, right? And I thought it would be uh, fun if we uh, we dug into the uh, the First Blood series. Uh, Kevin saw this wow. coming because I was looking at the IMDb pages for for Rambo, Rambo two, Rambo three earlier today when he when they came in. So uh, you guys, let's start with First Blood. That's I think what we first, should start with First Blood is an awesome movie. Let's just let's just say that straight up, and it's different than the other ones. The other movies exist kind of in a a different category, and we can talk about why in a little bit. But let's just start with First Blood. Eric, yeah, start us off, dog. What do you? How do you feel about First Blood? First Blood, man, that's a, it's a film. First of all, it's not just a movie. And I know you guys. I agree with that. that actually. No, it's it's uh, it's got a message. You know, it's about a. Uh, it's about PTSD. It is about PTSD, Kevin. It's about a a veteran who comes home. And uh, it's also about how much of a bunch of dicks organ cops are. That's accurate. <laughs> yep. I consider this to be a documentary. Um, a documentary Thank you very much. On organ cops. Uh, I I thank God do not have that experience. Uh, anyway, he's uh, he's having a rough time, 
and uh, he ultimately, you know, wants to wants to be alone. He wants to. Uh, the man can't find himself. For those or, who don't know, First Blood Rambo, you know, starts Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, we didn't say. Did he? No, did he write this? He did In not Chicago's direct it. own Brian Dennehy. He did not direct it. He did not. He co-wrote it. He co-wrote yep. it. That's what I thought. Uh, Brian Dennehy. I forgot. Yeah, he is the. He's like the big he's, bad, right? Yeah, he's the sheriff. Uh, anyway, this he's is the law. How would you describe this movie? It's the. It's not man against the cops, although that's what it is on the surface. It's man, basically, trying to survive and get away from the enemy who uh you know should be the people who have his back and uh it's Sylvester Stallone. Let's start with this Kevin. This movie takes place in Hope Washington in the movie. So it's it's about Washington. Cops. Oh, I thought Kevin. It was, well, that's fine. Okay, I thought it was Oregon too. Uh, maybe it's right on the border, I don't know. But in the movie, remember he he goes down to uh visit he visits a guy and he finds out his friend died of cancer because of Agent Orange. Yep. Yeah. And so he's like so he just like that's he like goes, a, he that goes knocks into him down a small town. Bit. And then the guy, the sheriff of the town, uh, which I think that's Dennehy, right? Yes. And he's the sheriff. He just drives him out of the town. He's like, no, get out of here. You know, well, what like happens is he basically gets harassed by one of the deputies and the sheriff backs the deputy and runs him out of town, like you're saying. Because he's just and... a guy with like a you know sack. He's just kind of slow moving. He, he kind of looks homeless, but he's not. Yeah, and this is uh, a commentary on the post uh, Vietnam kind of anti veteran yeah. sentiment. The veterans coming home. And so uh, you had this older kind of World War II, Korea era um, sheriff and in the small town, and they're trying to push this, uh, you know, Vietnam washout, uh, you know, homeless looking guy, push him through, push the rabble out of town, keep your streets clean. For the so, common good, for the greater good. So anyway, they drive him into like the forest, and then they go get like a like a helicopter. Yeah, and that, that's what the only thing I don't understand about this movie is why did they not just leave Rambo alone? So what, John Rambo just wants to be left alone. Well, what happens point. is he, uh, um, he, what beats up and almost kills two of the deputies getting mm. out of the jail. This is this well, is a good well, point, in Kevin. Jail, in jail, they try to like. <laughs> In jail, they, they like rough sh- him up. They try to like shave him with a razor, like with no like shaving cream, and he like freaks out. Like, yeah, he, he's like, nope. Which well, I don't blame him for that. And he starts having. Uh, they flashbacks. do a pretty good job of showing like flashbacks to torture that he experienced in war, and so he is in a PTSD haze, um, kind of experiencing flashbacks. And they show him like getting water tortured and a few other things going on, and. Uh, it is in this mental state that he uh, basically starts a war on the police department. Well, he, so he runs into the forest. They, the police department decides, we're going to go get him with dogs and a helicopter and stuff. So they go out, and then the helicopter, they're like, aren't they like shooting at him from the helicopter? So the uh, sheriff's deputy that starts the whole thing is taking shots at him. I haven't seen this movie in a while, but I'm, I've tried to remember. No, I mean neither, Kevin, but uh, you're right. The sheriff, the deputy that started the whole thing is shooting at him. The whole time, like the, for the beginning of the movie, Dennehy's basically just backing his deputy, and the deputy's like the aggressor. And what happens is Dennehy's the character who's like throwing good money after bad until he's over invested in tracking down and putting a stop to John Rambo. And this is where you get into the scene that everyone knows. And that's where you have John Rambo in the woods building his uh, traps. 
uh, using his well, tunnel tricks. Well, first he first he throws a rock at the helicopter, and remember the guy falls out of the helicopter and dies. Yeah, because the guy's hanging out to get a good shot. Yeah, and then and then and, and then that's so, what Dennehy declares war. And then Dennehy's <laughs> like, "You you did this." And Ram, what does Rambo say? He says the line, man. He says, "They, I, they drew first they blood." Drew first blood. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is a great, which is a great line. It's one of the few times like they say the name of the movie in the movie, and I'm like, "Yeah, they did." <laughs> well, and then he has the rifle then, and so now they're all like scared because he was kicking their ass with just his hand. Yeah, they and find now out he has a they, rifle. They find out he's a Green Beret too. Yeah, it's not just any veteran; it's a guy with a license to kill who you know is, is which you basically find out the, the American killing machine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we haven't gone to first blood. Part yeah, two. so then anyway, they call the police. They call the national guard. They call in his uh, his army um, the officer, general. the yeah. general, which is another they, good character. They use a friggin' rocket launcher, don't they, to like take out the the, the cave there's that Rambo's hiding in? Really, really like over the top moments in this movie. It's I wouldn't say they're over the top moments. It's over the top behavior by the cops. That at the time, it's so, you're incredulous. Like, would the they militarization of the police. But it works so well in the movie because it's it's still taken as like, it's not funny. It's not weird. It's like, wow, these guys are morons. Just let this guy go. Yeah, I feel like the three main actors, like in this movie, like the Rambo, the the guy who plays Kern, the Colonel, uh, and then Dennehy, like those guys are all really good in yes. this movie. They all did a really excellent job acting. Like they took it real serious. And, this is... and there's no like crap actors that distract too. No, and this is the second film franchise uh, for Sylvester Stallone, and it's one of the reasons why like why is Sylvester Stallone so bankable and so respected. It's because of the Rocky movies. It's because of Rambo. This guy is more than just like a buff guy who talks funny. He actually writes these movies and. He's he's a tremendous talent, and uh, it's movies like this is why he's so great. Well, and we'll get into the other ones, which were like you know interesting action movies. This one, much like the first Rocky movie, the story is much better. I let me just say Nathan. though, Hold let on. me just say though, I know where Nathan's going. I I love First Blood Part Two. Oh, I did not know you were going. I there. I I think this movie is so sweet. Let's go into the sequels. Do go, go first blood part two. Uh, well, okay, first blood part two is it's it's bad. No wait, <laughs> it's it's also got a sub name. It's got what's no? What's, it's it's Rambo, Rambo first blood part two. Yeah, that's what yeah, it's this called. is the first one called Rambo. The first one is just called first, first blood. blood. Okay, so Rambo, Rambo first blood part is two. the first Rambo. I will movie. openly admit this is kind of a bad movie. Um, but like this is the movie that spawned. All of the spoof movies in the late '80s, early yeah. '90s, like the one with uh, uh, Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez, Hot Shots, and Hot Shots Part D, Part D. Yeah. So, but anyway, it, Rambo ends up back in the Vietnam jungle, and he's just killing people to try to save POWs, basically. And then, because he's been but, called back by the then, general, but Rambo, then, we need but you because he was working, uh, breaking rocks. Marshall Murdoch, dude. Marshall Murdoch is the bad is like the bad guy in this movie. Yeah, because he got he gets sent on a suicide mission. Because he's just expendable anyway. They didn't think he was coming back. <laughs> so, yeah, and the, it spawned the great line, Murdoch, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> Which is just so good. Anyway, like, so... If so, only he'd have booked teeth that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, in First Blood Part 2, you know, you. a bunch of crazy stuff happens. Uh, Murdoch, it's revealed Murdoch was never planning to save the POWs. He just wanted Rambo to go in there and kill some people, basically. This is a very enjoyable stupid movie i mean what is this for you a six a seven probably a seven 
I gotta say though, it's it's a seven. For well, what me, about the purely like, based on the time when Rambo what, is hiding in the mud? And what about the end? <laughs> what about the, the end best scene when Rambo's like, "I only want this country to love its soldiers as much as its soldiers love this country," or whatever? <laughs> oh it's no, so stupid. It does sound like the beginning of a country song. It's Could like. We, it's like the end of Rocky Four. It's just like, oh man, this era of Sylvester Stallone was so over the top. Well, yeah, and it was it was all about America. Is anyone going to talk about Rambo Three? Because I feel like that is a really bad movie. That's because it is. Okay. Okay. I, I want to like wait. Rambo is better than Rambo Three. I want to talk about Rambo Four, which is just called, uh, isn't it Rambo or John it's Rambo? Rambo. Yeah. I've never seen Rambo. Okay. All right. Stop. This movie is wait, amazing. Wait. I think. I think Nate wanted to do Rambo three. Were you gonna say something about Rambo three? Oh, Rambo three. Yeah, it's like it's like Rambo two without the without as much fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's boring, and uh, I think he takes out. It is the aliens three of the Rambo movies. His yeah. only it's weapon like, is a bow and arrow, and he takes down choppers with it. It's sweet. Like the movie is sweet, but it's not like good. It's a collection of interesting scenes. I'd watch this movie while you're drinking and talking to friends. Like that. That's that's about how much you want to engage with this movie. Oh, so you can like look over and be like, hey, that's an explosion. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. All right. Tell me about Rambo. 20, okay. 2008. Sorry. So <laughs> the only thing that I don't like about this movie uh, is that it's following the Hollywood like Rambo is now a guy in the jungle, like as opposed to a guy who came home. Now, check this. It is a group of missionaries, Christian missionaries who want to go to this dangerous part of Thailand. Thailand. Are they? It's not Burma. Quite, it's not. Yeah, it's Burma. It's not Myanmar or anything like that. Uh and they want to they want to deliver medicine to these people, and somehow you know they need to get across a river. Guess who the riverboat driver is? It's John Rambo. And they're saying he's like uh, yeah, they hired Rambo from he lives in Thailand now, so they fi- they hire Rambo. I'm reading the he's, he's, I'm reading the he's plot the, guide. the he's plot the guide. summary. He's oh the guide. Gosh. They follow him as the guide, and he's basically like, "You do not want to go up here. I'm not taking you." And they're like, "You have to take us." And uh, he's like, "I'm not doing it." And they're like, you have to. And he's like, fine, it's your fine, funeral. Fine, do it, it's your funeral. Exactly. So he takes them up there, and sure enough, uh, you know, they get I kidnapped. I told you I wasn't going to do Hold it. Hold on, Kevin. They get they get kidnapped, they get beat, they get murdered. Uh, one of them gets taken hostage. And, so it's like uh, Hostile too. Something like that. It's it's not really shown, but it does show a lot of the atrocities that this army does. Uh, I don't want to talk about it here on the podcast. I will say this film is very difficult to watch in the beginning because they want to do the classic thing in revenge movies. They want to set up the evil. So when it comes time to punish the evil, no matter how bad that is, you're like, yeah. And this movie, if you can rate a movie NC-17 for violence, which I think you used to be able to do, that's what this movie would get. Uh, From here, we see Rambo decide. um, I think he's kind of deciding if he wants to save the missionaries or not. And someone checks his boat and gives him guff, and he he's like slits their throats and shoots them in the head. And he's like, "Okay, I'm going to go save these people." So, one production note about this movie: they made it extra bloody because Sylvester Stallone was like, "The budget's kind of light, so what can we do that's cheap to make it sweet?" And he was like, "Extra blood, <laughs> fake blood is cheap." That's okay. what he said. It is it is ridiculous how much blood, and I'm not talking about like just buckets of blood. It's just we're talking giant machine guns strapped to the back of jeeps close up hitting people and they don't turn away the camera it's it's bad it's gross you're talking uh there's some things i'll say after we get off the air but to show the evil of these people the things they show are things atrocities that happen in real life and it's like holy shit am i watching this this is awful uh but don't worry guys 
Rambo saves the day. And I, I don't want to ruin the end of the movie for you, uh, for those of you listening, but I will say the end of the movie brings the whole Rambo franchise back full circle in an, I think, beautiful way. Because this movie does have a, a message to it. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's, I love this movie. I wasn't really interested I it in was seeing solid. it. I wasn't really interested in seeing it, but now I know that it's banned by the Burmese government. I'm in. Banned. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yes, it does. Um, and then uh, they tried to make a, mo- a fifth movie, but and it was supposed to take place on the Arizona Mexico border with Rambo fighting to Mexico and rumored rumored to be fighting ISIS as well. But they just can the whole thing, which is smart. Instead, they made Sicario. And uh, you know they Sicario. they should probably just re- release the Rambo cartoon from the late eighties and call it a day. All right. So any other uh, any other Rambo thoughts? No, I think we've covered the franchise. You, who, okay, then here's my last question. Who, if they revived the Rambo franchise, who would you want to be playing John Rambo? Can I go first? Go for it. Jamie Foxx. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes! yes! He can do it. It's so good that I I don't even know if I want to say anything after that. Yeah. Like, oh man, that is good. One of the best actors we have. And best singers. Oh, that'd be so awesome. Oh man. I really I, want to see that now. Yeah. I really want to see it. I was thinking Tom Hardy, but but like yours is like real good. I th- it's out of the box, and it could be I honestly with with everything going on socially right now, it just makes a lot of sense. Tom Hardy, I don't want to see his pretty face getting messed up. I just don't want to. He's see just it. good as Max. I think he could do like the buff, like gruff. Also, you know. Tom Hardy is really good at emoting without showing his full face, and I don't see how you know you can do that with a Rambo movie. Oh, Unless you, you hide him in mud. Cover him mud. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Kevin, yours? I was going to say Jean Reno. Jean Reno? Do the, do the international bit. He's so old, though. I know. It's, so, it's even grittier. <laughs> He's even older. And you it's only do no. one. And it's in France, so it's all about cheese. No, you only do one. I feel, like, you got, I feel like if you you're do dealing it. With terrorists, you're dealing with terrorism in Eastern Europe. It's too bad you can't do Will Smith because you'd have to go, I want to get me one of these. <laughs> so it wouldn't work. Yeah, Rambo would never. They say already that. did his Rambo movie. It was called uh... Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for for Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronovec, I'm Nathan Santo, and we will see you next week. Go Hawks! <laughs> with me.